Welcome to Craft Life, episode 18, Bah Humbug. In this episode, I've invited my mom to chat with me about life on a Christmas tree farm during the holiday season. I'll be sharing a new, or perhaps very old, recipe. And there will be a quick update on what I'm working on at the moment. All this coming up in this episode of Craft Life, the podcast all about living the creative life. Well, happy December, all of you Craft Life listeners. Welcome back, returning ones. And if you are new and joining me for the first time today, I'd like to say a special hello to you and Merry Christmas. Yes, it is getting so close to Christmas. And I, for one, love Christmas. Yes, I am one of those people. I love Christmas. I started listening to my Christmas music on my iPhone, um, I think shortly after Halloween. I think I at least waited until after Halloween, I think, but don't hold me to that. <laughs> I'm usually one of those who who determines to wait until at least the day after Thanksgiving before tuning into the holiday music, but you know, I just gave in this year. I'm so ready for Christmas. It is my favorite time of the year. Um, it is just one of those times when, you know, people just seem a little bit nicer um, they just don't seem to be as much in a rush, of course, unless you're at the mall, but we're not, we're not talking about that. People just seem to be a little bit nicer around this time of year and more willing to help and more generous with their time and with everything. So you may be asking yourself, if I love Christmas so much, why is the title of this episode, Bah Humbug? Well, this is, this is sort of a partner episode to the Scrooge Ate My Homework episode 16. Yes, Scrooge has been taking up quite a bit of my time lately, and therefore the homework has not been done. And that's that. Yes, the homework has not been done. There will not be a song in this episode, but I do have an interview to bring you, and we're going to talk about some tasty treats, and even with, um, even with the, the big production that is Scrooge, I have found some time for some knitting. So we're going to talk about that a little bit too. But let's get a few odds and ends out of the way before we proceed with the rest of the podcast. First of all, we had a giveaway, if you remember. This was a giveaway for a Hello Kitty Online Premium Edition. There were two copies to give away, and we have a winner. The winner is Melody J, and Melody has already been contacted about her copy of the game, and it's already been sent on its way. So, Melody, hopefully by the time you are listening to this, you've already gotten your package in the mail, and I hope you or whomever you have you have decided to give it to um, enjoys it very much. Now, you may also be asking yourself, who was winner number two? Well, that, ladies and gentlemen, is me. Yes, I am the ultimate second winner. Because while Melody was the lucky winner of the first copy, she was also the only person to enter the giveaway. Yes, Huxton Handmade, I feel your pain as far as your knit-along goes. Um, Melody, she gets a gold star for me. Melody J is my new best friend. Thank you for entering the giveaway, Melody. 
And yes, so since there were no other entrants, there are no other winners. So I'm just going to enjoy my second copy of Hello Kitty Online. And hopefully in the next giveaway, I'll pick a little more knitterly prize. And um, hopefully that might be of more interest to more people. I also would like to update you on the Treacle and Ink Goes Pink for Breast Cancer. Back in the month of October, I did have a fundraiser on my Etsy shop, Treacle and Ink, to raise funds for breast cancer research. And the grand total of the donation is... $185. Thank you so much to everyone who participated in that, who made purchases during the month of October. And that donation has already been sent to Susan G. Komen for the cure. So thank you everybody who helped out with that. As I've said before, breast cancer research has a very special place in my heart. So I was so excited to be able to make that donation. And now on to the interview. Today, I'm very pleased to bring to you an interview with Shine of Shine and Lee's Christmas Trees. Uh, Shine is better known to me as Mom. Shine and Lee's Christmas Trees is a choose and cut your own Christmas tree farm. Um, so welcome to the podcast, Mom. I'm glad to have you here for the interview. This, is, this will be fun. I'm going to enjoy it. I know. Now, to get us started off, could you tell me a little bit about the history of Shine and Lee's Christmas trees and what made you decide to start a Christmas tree farm? Well, it's um, in our yard. We had uh, purchased some land around the house uh, several years back and just sitting on the front porch looking at the pasture in front of the house. I decided it, uh, we needed to get rid of the pasture fence. We were not going to have any plans to put any animals in it. Uh, so I took down the pasture fence and sat on the porch and looked at it again and thought, well, you know, I'd like to do something with that land. And going up to Biltmore House in Asheville, um, they used their land to help make some money to keep the place going. And I thought, you know, I think Christmas trees would be a good thing to plant around here. And it's something we could enjoy. And our girls enjoyed going and looking for Christmas trees when they were little and and uh, so we started planting the trees, and um, it's a choose-and-cut farm. You come out and look at the tree that you want, and uh, make sure you get the right one. You choose it, you cut it, bring it up to us, and uh, we shake it out, make sure all the debris and bird nests and other creatures get gone, and uh, we bale it up for you, put netting on it, and send you on your way. And when did you plant your first trees? It was 2003. 2003. And about how long does it take from a tree to go from seedling size to full grown enough to cut down for Christmas? I'd say four to six years. And what different species of trees do you sell? We have uh, mostly cypress trees. They're called Leland Cypress, Carolina Sapphire. Those are the two main main ones that we grow right now. Um, we do have some cedar trees. So one of those a couple of days ago, those were the kind that I grew up with around here in in this part of South Carolina. We would we would get a cedar tree, and it's very aromatic. Smells like Christmas. Um, didn't last as long as the cypress trees appear to last that we grow now. We do still have some cedar trees, um, and like I said, some people who are used to them will 
come back and, and look for them. But, uh, we tried to grow some uh, Virginia pines, but I guess it's, this is South Carolina, not Virginia. We didn't do very well with them in our ground. Mainly the cypress trees are the ones that we're, we're growing right now. Now, for people who have never been to a Christmas tree farm, what can they expect? What's a typical customer experience? Well, um, if they've never been here before, we've had some customers who have never been to a cheese and cut farm before. So I'll take one of them. They come in, they'll ask, uh, okay, how do we do this? We've never done this before. We have a pole. It's just a, a PVC pipe is what it is, and we've marked it uh, by the foot. It's a 10-foot pole, and uh, we give them one of those. So because out in the field, it's a big pasture, open pasture, and you can walk up to a tree and go, oh, this will fit in our house. But you don't realize the tree's a lot bigger once you get it in the house than it is when it's standing in the middle of a pasture or a field. So uh, we tell them, please make sure you measure the tree before you cut it down. And we give them a bow saw. And they go out, and uh, if you got, if they have small children, we've got uh, little plastic sleds with a rope on it, and they can pull the kids around. And if, if they want to put the tree in and after they cut it and, and let them, everybody help pull the tree back up to the uh, shed, the Christmas shed, they can use it for that. But it's fun. Uh, listen, we had four college kids came out last weekend, and they were pulling each other around in the sled. So when they get back up to the Christmas shed, we uh, put it on a machine that's called a shaker, and it, it shakes the debris and everything out of the tree. And uh, if... They want to purchase one of our tree stands. Ours have a spike in the middle of it, and uh, we have to drill a hole in the bottom of the tree. We tap the tree stand on it, drive the spike up in the trunk of the tree, and they take it home, standing up in the house, and it's done. So they watch us drill the hole in the tree, and after we've done that, we have a baler with netting around it, and we run the tree uh, Lisa, as we birth the tree, it's like giving birth because you run it, you run it through the baler, and it comes out the other end, and it covers it with the netting. And after that, we have hot chocolate and apple cider, and everybody can make their own. It's free, and we have candy canes. Uh, we have coloring books for the kids, and I try to keep just a little small ornament. I've been trying to keep up with giving the, the children an ornament that go on their tree when they leave. Oh, that sounds nice. I like that. Well, let me ask you a little bit about, um, about allergies. I know, especially down here in Texas, I learned when we moved down here that there's something called cedar fever that really affects people in the summertime when the cedar trees are really putting out the pollen. Um, what would be a good species of tree that you would recommend for someone who might struggle with plant allergies? Yeah, we had a family came out a couple of years ago, and the mother said that they had to give up their live trees because their daughter had a lot of different allergies. And she had mentioned that uh, to the daughter's um, dermatologist. He said, if you want a live tree, he said, go for the Leland Cypress. Uh, people with allergies to plants and trees are uh, that that type of tree, that species is. Uh, not as bad as far as allergies. So they've, they've been getting them a lingering cypress every year. 
Now, I know that you do quite a few um, crafty things around the tree farm. Can you take just a minute and tell us a little bit about some of the things you make and maybe the processes involved? Well, I have a machine that um, wraps wire around the greenery to make garlands. And is this just something you feed the greenery in one side and out the other side pops a, a completed strand of garland? Or how does that work? No, I, I have to cut the greenery into uh, different lengths, uh, cut it off the branches. And uh, there is a platform on the machine. It has a piece of wire that comes out of it. And there's twine that you feed along the same area as the branches and the wire and you turn the handle on the other end and it twists the wire and twine around the branches and you just keep laying more branches up on the platform and continue twisting it until you get the length. What I've been making are six foot long lengths of garland and if you take two of those and put them over a doorway then you can drape them on each side of the doorway and put a bow in the middle where you hook them together and it makes a pretty garland around your door facing. I love live garland. It looks so pretty and it really does make the house smell so nice. I know that you also make wreaths. You make regular wreaths for the door. I have one on my front door right now. And you also do advent wreaths, um, mailbox toppers, centerpieces for the table, um, and, and door swags, and they are all absolutely gorgeous. Now, if some of our listeners would like to use some live greenery in their holiday crafts and decorations, is that something that they can get from a tree farm? Um, specifically, maybe those listeners who, who live in the middle of the city and don't just have access to, um, to clipping evergreens of their own? If somebody asked me for, like, I've had a couple people say, you know, I want, I want to put some greenery on my mantle, and I just need a handful, I'll clip some for them and give it to them. Uh, I don't know what other farmers do, but uh, unless, you know, if they wanted to make crafts uh, in a large amount, I would, probably wouldn't have enough to give them, but... Uh, that or just going out through the woods because before we started our tree farm uh, we had some cedars around the edge of our property and I'd go out and clip that and I had a big round circle of um, plywood I cut a round circle out and stapled the cedar to that round circle and that was my wreath on the front of my house we set off the roads uh, a little ways and people can see our house but they could really see that huge wreath that I had on the front of the house. But like I said, I just cut it out of some cedar trees that were growing around our property and, and stapled them to that wood. Yes, I remember that big wreath. It was very lovely. And you could see it all the way from the road. <laughs> now, Mom, this brings us to a fairly regular segment of the podcast. As you know, we are women of the South. Yes, I am. <laughs> Yes, ma'am. And I do a segment called Southernisms. So I have to ask you, what is your favorite Southernism and why? Well, I've said this to some people that um, are from up north that have moved down this way and have come to visit and uh, they'd get ready to leave and I'd 
I said, y'all come back and see us now. And they go, you really say that around here, huh? I said, say what? <laughs> y'all come back now? I said, well, yeah, I want you to come back and visit me again. So, yeah, y'all come back and see me. <laughs> uh, but that was something that I thought was kind of funny because we say it all the time and we, we don't think anything about it. But uh, some of my northern friends, it kind of caught them off guard when I said it. Well, Mom, I really appreciate you taking the time to come and share a little bit about the Christmas tree farm and how that whole thing works um, with me today. Uh, if you could, tell us how people can find you online and in real life, please. Um, online, if they uh, want to go to our website, it's shineandleeschristmastrees.com. And I encourage you to go there. My number one son-in-law built that website. And I've heard a lot of comments from people who have Googled us to find out where we were. And uh, they were really impressed. At this point, Mom waxes poetic about Adam for quite some time uh, when she refers to her number one son-in-law. That's him. He built the website, and they are very, very happy with it. And I said, you know, he's made it look bigger than it is but the pictures on there are true and pictures don't lie so everything that's on there is actually true but he just did such a wonderful job at it and uh there is a link on our website facebook and if someone would like to actually come visit the farm where are you located shining leaves christmas trees in newberry south carolina and our phone number is 803 276 0161. They Googled us and found us on the internet at the website that my number one son-in-law built, and it had our phone number on there also. So. Well, Mom, I would just like to say thanks so much for taking the time to chat with me and, and tell us a little bit about what goes on at a Christmas tree farm. Miss you. I miss you, too, and I love you. I love you, too. This past Saturday, I got into the kitchen to do a bit of holiday baking. There are many things I love about this time of year, and one of those things in particular is the holiday foods. I decided to make cast gifts for the cast members of Ebenezer Scrooge, and something that was fairly specific to the show. So I pulled out my flour, my butter, my eggs, my sugar, my saffron, and I whipped up some soul cakes. Now. What is a soul cake? It was not something that I was very familiar with before I participated in Ebenezer Scrooge. So to give you kind of a clear idea, um, here's a little excerpt from the October 2007 NPR article called Soul Cakes, Hallowed Offerings for Hungry Ghosts by T. Susan Chang. Explanations on the origins of soul cakes vary. Some say that cakes were baked for the bonfires and that they were a lottery. Pick the burnt cake and you get to be the human sacrifice that ensures good crops next year. Or, soul cakes may have been tossed around an area to appease evil spirits condemned to wander in animal form. By the 8th century, though, soul cakes had been sanctified and civilized. They were used to pay the beggars who came around on All Souls' Eve and offered to say prayers for the families departed. One cake given one soul saved. 
cheap at the price. Elsewhere, they were given to the costumed entertainers known as mummers who made their merry rounds at Halloween. Today's trick-or-treaters are thought to be their descendants. Now, Halloween and Christmas are two very different holidays, but Ebenezer Scrooge opens with a song called A Solon. And it is during this song that you get to meet the cast of actors who are going to be entertaining you for this evening. So I thought it was quite appropriate that each of them should get a soul cake of their own. So I did a quick Google search, found out that there, there's really no specific certain recipe for a soul cake. There are many, many, many different variations on what a soul cake is. Nobody really knows if there was maybe a soul cake standard somewhere back in the past. And so I went with the recipe that actually comes where you find this article from NPR. The result is a, is a slightly dry cake cookie scone consistency. I would liken it more to a scone. Um, it is slightly sweet. It is topped with currants that are arranged in a cross shape on top of the sole cake. And it is brushed with a glaze of egg yolk, which gives this really nice yellowy, shiny coloring on top. Um, which is enhanced by the saffron that is included in the batter. This is the first time I've ever cooked with saffron, and so that was a very unique experience. I've never bought saffron to cook for myself because it is quite a, a, a pricey spice. And when I'm just cooking for two, I just can't seem to, to rationalize spending that much for a spice. But since I was cooking for an entire cast, then it seemed to make a little bit more sense. I'm not sure if I'm sold on saffron in terms of flavor yet. I did eat a few soul cakes and then waited a day and ate a few more. And in fact, I had the last two for breakfast this morning and I'm still undecided. So I'll leave it up to you. I'd love to know what you think about saffron in particular. If you've cooked with it, if you've had much experience with it, eating it or cooking it. Leave me a comment in the show notes and let me know your take on it. Let me know if you have some good recipes as well, because I thoroughly intend to use every bit of saffron that I bought. It's in my pantry right now. And uh, yes, I will be using it all. So if you have any good saffron recipes, please let me know. Leave me a comment and link to it in the comments below the show notes for this episode. Even though a lot of my time has been taken up by Ebenezer Scrooge lately, there has been a little bit of knitting going on. For the most part, I have been working feverishly away at preemie hats. Yes, the deadline for me to submit my Christmas preemie hats is coming up. Actually, I think it's Thursday, and so I, I kind of made them my number one knitting priority. Um, and I've got five taken care of, and one... One is the namesake for this episode. It's a little red, simple, stockinette, baby, preemie hat with a rolled brim, which I went back in green yarn and duplicate-stitched humbug. Yeah, because honestly, I think a preemie wearing a hat that says humbug at Christmas time is very funny. And uh, I may be the only one, but there you go. It's, it's going in the sack with the rest of the preemie hats. Once I got finished with my preemie hats, I once again turned my attention back to Adam's gauntlets. Yes, if you remember, this is his special request gauntlets. I think I told you about them in episode 17. Um, 
I have finished the dragon scale portion of one of the gauntlets. And that is saying a lot. From the beginning of trying to even figure out how to make dragon scales to learning the short rows and to finally being finished with the dragon scale portion of one gauntlet, I'm very excited. I actually bound it off today. I tried Jenny's surprisingly stretchy bind off from the Nitty Fall 2009. And it's like magic, this bind off. I've heard of people, I've heard people talk about using it before and surprisingly stretchy. I mean, it could not be more appropriately named. And it is definitely a bind off that I will use on many projects in the future. But I'm not going to use it on the gauntlets. Yes, I finished the bind off and I had Adam try them on. And they're just, it's just too stretchy. <laughs> it really is a surprisingly stretchy. And a little too much so uh, for his gauntlet um, being where it is on his arm. It needs to be a little more snug. So I'm going to take that bind off back out and see see what else I can do to, to make a more snug bind off for him. I'll let you know how that goes. And the next step at this point is to either cast on the dragon scale portion of the other arm or to plunge into the strange mitten portion of, of this gauntlet. We'll see. Uh, I don't know if you remember, Adam wants a mitten that covers his last three fingers, but is like a glove for his pointer finger and thumb. And those also need to be convertible, the pointer and thumb, because he's going to use those two fingers to play video games, which is the whole point of this pair of gauntlets. That and to look like super cool dragon scale armor. I'll let you know how that goes. I'll try to take a picture of the dragon scales for where they are up to this point and post that up on the blog for you so you can kind of get an idea of where we're headed with this. Right now, the only other crafty thing that I am working on is the Craft Life Christmas episode. I'm wondering if I bit off more than I can chew with my plans for the Christmas episode, but it is my very, very solemn intent to have this up before Christmas how long it will be, I can't quite tell you yet because I'm not sure what I'm going to have time to complete. There's so many ideas in the bucket and I'm not going to be able to use all of them, but we'll see. We'll see what I can come up with. So be on the lookout. There will be one more episode before Christmas and then I may take my every 10 episode break one episode early. After episode 10, I took a month off to kind of regroup, gather my thoughts and plan for the next set of episodes. And with the, the toll that Ebenezer Scrooge and the Christmas season is taking on me, I may just go ahead and take that break after the Christmas episode. But I will let you know once I post episode 19 if, if that's going to be what I decide to do. Other than that, I hope you are having a very merry holiday season, no matter what reason you are celebrating this year. Um, I hope you have time to spend with friends and family and time to just sit down and do a little selfish knitting. Because really, that's what we really need this time of year. And on that note, I'll sign off for today and I will see you in episode 19. As always, if you'd like to get in touch with me, you can email treacleandink at hotmail.com. You can find show notes for this episode on the blog at treacleandinketsy.wordpress.com. You can also listen to the podcast there. You can find it on iTunes. On Ravelry and Facebook, my name is Treacle and Ink. You can also visit the Craft Life group on Ravelry or follow me on Twitter. My name there is Craft Life. 
Join me in the next episode for a very merry Craft Life Christmas. Until then, thanks so much and have a great week. Thank you.